Welcome to A Court of Swish and Flick, A Court of Thorns and Roses podcast. To the people who look at the stars and wish, we welcome you to the seventh episode of A Court of Swish and Flick. This episode is sponsored by Brandon Seabaugh. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I'm Megan. I'm Katie. And I'm Sarah. And today we are going to be discussing Chapter 6 of A Court of Thorns and Roses. And obviously we don't, unfortunately, have Tiffany here with us. She is not feeling well, so send good vibes her way. Mm-hmm. Um, so make sure that you follow us on your preferred podcast listening platform and share this episode with your friends, because hopefully if you like us, then they will too. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at A Court of Swish and Flick and Twitter at A-C-O-S-A-F. If you'd like to support us on Patreon, you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash A Court of Swish and Flick. Supporting our podcast keeps us going, and it also gives you access to our exclusive Facebook group and Discord channel with new live recordings starting in January. So what we do is we record both of our episodes on one day. So once a month, we will be live in Discord recording our two episodes for the month if you would like to join us. If you'd like to join us there and chat along with us while we're talking. Um, Our episodes will also be coming out early for our patrons as well, posted to Patreon the weekend before. We're not really sure what day. It's just going to be based on on timing, but we will do our best to get the episodes to you a day or two before they're released on that second and fourth Monday of every month. Um, And thank you all so much for all of your support. We love you guys and couldn't do this without you. If you have any questions, concerns, or anything else, you can send those to our email, which is a court of swish and flick at gmail.com. So obviously Tiffany's not here and she asked me, let me read the text message so I get it correctly. <laughs> I said to her, I go, anything I could do for you. She goes, just read my notes with enthusiasm and gusto. So that's what I'm going to try to do for y'all. <laughs> gusto. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we start off, we're in chapter six, right? Yes. I gotta say, we gotta make like another episode or something. Cause the numbers are getting me so confused know, because we're like one. So like, it'll we're like on... be better once we're on mist and fury and we just start over and they don't correlate at all. But like right now it's throwing <laughs> me off. <laughs> so. The estate was quite large and stretched across rolling green land. Farah had never seen anything like it. Even their former manor was of no comparison. It was covered in roses and ivy with patios, balconies, and staircases. Can you see the staircases from the outside? That's just me interjecting to Tiffany's notes. (laughs) (laughs) The grounds were encased by woods, but the line of the forest was quite far and she could barely see it. She thinks of painting it. The colors are bursting, but she thinks that she could never do it justice. And Tiffany says, I keep thinking of the fan theory. <laughs> that she's a terrible artist and it makes me laugh. It also makes me laugh. Um, you know, like the peachy queen, like cosplay. She did a real within the last month <laughs> of when Reese like walks into the um, like mountain getaway thing. And like, yeah. it's after she's painted everything and like in the real, like there's like poorly drawn drawings <laughs> everywhere. It is so funny. Um, but yeah, that is also one of my, 
favorite ones. <laughs> that TikTok's so good because like the drawings look like they were done in like MS Paint. <laughs> like, yeah, they're so they bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. So just the awe of the place subdued the fears that she had. There were lots of flowers and let's um and let's see if they pass the Megan test. Ah, okay. So Megan, <laughs> let's hear your opinion. This is from the book. It says above the array of amethyst irises and pale snowdrops and butter yellow daffodils swaying in the balmy breeze, the faint stench of metal touched my nostrils. I mean, that right there just like screams spring to me. And I like all of those flowers, so I mean, it's interesting, too, with hearing, like, not just saying, like, oh, red roses or, oh, uh, pink, I don't know, snapdragon, something like that. Like, so being so specific with the colors, like, just Mm -hmm. as, like, a reminder of her artiste eyeballs looking at stuff. Mm -hmm. I love irises. (laughs) They're so pretty. I don't know if I know what an iris looks like besides the one in your eyeball. They're purple. (laughs) And they the only thing with those kind like irises and daffodils at least, they just like bloom for such a short period of time. It makes me sad because they're really pretty flowers. And I just wish they stuck around longer. But here just gonna say they're probably bloomed all the time. So Mm -hmm. that's pretty cool. I was saying to Tiffany too, when I was like rereading this, and I was like, with with the stench of the metal in her nose, and I was like, I never got I never realized the first two times reading this book that I was like, oh, there's magic all <laughs> there's magic all around yeah. her. Um, and the fact that like we don't find out until like literally halfway through the book almost that there's like fairies all around. <laughs> she just can't see them. And, I thought of that this time and I was like, it's yeah. kind of awkward. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like I, it didn't pop into my head and again, literally until this reread where I was like, oh, I'm like, that's probably what she's smelling. I don't know because then it also says like about um, fairies with the land and like magically like having it always be spring and I was like do they control the weather like is that how like how does it work where it's because in um, in the night court we see like they have winter you know what I mean like it's cold as she goes in the winter time Um, and then summer like it's just so they have the seasons there but like in all the other courts they don't not all the other courts but the um seasonal courts they don't yeah i wondered that myself like is it on purpose or is it just part of their lands yeah i don't know because like how, what was know. it before they drew the lines and like made yeah. all the seven because they it wasn't always like that um or maybe i'm just thinking too hard about it i don't know <laughs> that's what we're doing here <laughs> but I never, yeah i never really thought about that either because i always assumed reading it this time that that meant it's the magic that Tamlin has put on it to like make it look better for her. I didn't associate that with just like the it weather, being the season. Yeah. Oh no, I just assume it's always spring mm. there. Yeah, because it's always like because if you think about it, so when she leaves in Wings and Ruin with Lucian, mm-hmm. she goes from the spring court. Obviously, she can't go into the summer court because she's like, I'll be killed on sight. Which isn't funny, but still kind of is funny. Because <laughs> there's like another thing. They're like, if you found out, if Tarkin found out that she hates the color red, like he would probably send like an emerald stone instead, like change the color for her. Um, 
But so she like leaves the spring court. They go to the autumn court and it's autumn there. Like it's cold. Autumn's yeah. all around. And then, then when they get to the winter court, like snow, ice, like yada da. Yeah. Um, so she connects that the metal stench is uh, magic because of the way that the Fae are able to control their seasons. But like, I, I want to know like more about that. Because it also says, again, maybe I should just stop rereading things. I just have so many questions. Because it says later on in, I think in Thorns and Roses, that for the Great Rite, they're like all seven um, high lords like have to perform the great right because like they're giving the magic like it's a give and take of all of the magic um but we don't see reese do this so that's my question yeah why aren't you focuses on other things and it's not like it's not like he causes the stars to do what they do either you know like what is that night called starfall <laughs> starfall yeah <laughs> like <laughs> like he's not doing that that's just like no. a thing that happens so yes. yeah i don't know i just have so many questions so sarah please get back to me i yeah. want to be your best friend send us an email <laughs> I, I say this as someone who has never reached out to talk to her <laughs> um so they control their seasons, I guess, and it, um, and that it must be some kind of quote wretched power, which I guess. But like, is it is it just performing those things? I don't really fully know. Um, so I don't know. Anyway, combination so could be, Maybe. and it might just be like the way that the magic that was set up with um, when they split up Corinthian. Mm-hmm. Maybe it changed all of that as well. Because um, they were even saying, I think later on in Thorns and Roses, that like all of the borders between the lands have fallen or something like that. Like it's worded like there's no more real border. So I wonder if there really is magic like separating spring from summer, from autumn, from winter, and then from like dawn, night, blah, 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 day. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Moving on. So she's now sweating under her winter layers that she once needed and whatever bonds that he had put on her were now gone. So she felt for her knife that she took and discovered that it was gone. And the thought of him pawing through her cloak to find the knife made her mouth go dry. I also would not care for that. Nope. Yeah. Uh, her horse stopped at the foot of the stairs and she took a moment to glance over at the still open gates and the thought of bolting. And she knew it would have to be right now. And this is from the book. It says, South, all I had to do was go south, and I would eventually make it to the wall. If I didn't encounter anything before then, <laughs> jokes on you, Feyre. I tugged on the reins, but the mare remained stationary, even as I dug my heels into her sides. I let out a low, sharp hiss. Fine, on foot. My knees buckled as, buckled as I hit the ground, bits of light flashing in my vision. I grasped the saddle and winced as soreness and hunger racked my senses. Um, and so then Tiffany has put in our doc, like a picture of the map of like Corinthian and the mortal lands that are there, which really does look like England. Well, like the UK, most of it, yeah, not Northern totally. Ireland, but so when you look at it, there's like a, th- like a smaller strip of land that's the mortal lands. There's a little dot that says like where Feyre's village is. Um, and then you see like a darkened rectangle, which is the forest, but also the wall that's like kind of right in there. And then you have, cause I was also thinking about this when I was staring at them. At the 
<laughs> that like the spring court is longer than it is wide. And then like right above the spring court, you have the summer court on its right. If you're looking at the map or on the left, I mean, and then the autumn court is on the lot right. So right and left, you can tell that I don't know them. <laughs> then it's the winter court. And then there's another strip of land. And it says like under, under the mountain is there. And then mm. also the weaver's cottage is in that little strip of land. And then it's the dawn court, the day court. And then the night court has like the most land out of everybody. But it's yeah. like the night court, the prison is there. Valeris is there, obviously. Um, the Illyrian mountains, the Illyrian steps, like all. So they have the most land. Um. It's so. very mountainous, though. Like looking at yes, yeah. Like yeah. like I guess if you talk about like livable space, it's not necessarily that much more livable space than some of the others. Yeah, yeah they make do though. I guess. Yeah. Um, and like it has, um, I believe it shows you like the little places like Court of Nightmares is. I'm like trying to zoom in, um, and like where for the like most in part the mountains. Yeah. And even like the autumn court, um, it has, I forget what it's called. Cause I can't see it. The something's house, which is Lucian's father's palace is in the picture. I don't know if it'll say it in this book. It doesn't. Um, but not until like, so if you look at the, if you're in court thorns and thorns and roses and you're looking at the map, I'm the type of person, I love a good map in my book, but this one is not, does not go very specific of like, it even doesn't talk about, um, on like the continent or other, the other like fairy courts, I guess. I don't think they're called courts over there, but like, um, realms. Yeah, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not, this one's not very specific, but I'm going to guess that in Mist and Fury, it probably gets more specific of like where stuff is, um, in that map. Like it points stuff out sort of. So that's interesting. I never noticed that before. So each map gets more detailed. I didn't notice that either. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. That's cool. Because the You'd the picture that Tiffany put in ours is probably from Wings and Ruin because um it has Lucian's father's palace, which is the forest house, I think. But even on like the continent it shows um Belhan, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Um Highburn, right? Highburn, yeah, but Highburn's like if you're looking at it, the one that kind of looks like where Ireland would be in close proximity to England, that's Highburn. But it even goes into like telling you, um, Summer Court, the Adriata. I don't know if I'm saying that right. The Palace and the Dawn Court. It's a fun fact. Anyways, things people probably don't care about. I don't know. So, according to the map of Corinthian, she knows her sense of direction, obviously, because she knows that she has to go south. Um, that's probably something that they learned when they were, uh, I almost said in school, but they didn't go to school. Being taught by their mother. <laughs> uh, did she teach them? Because I don't mm. think she did. Um, so, she keeps thinking, yeah, she kept thinking that she needed to go and she needed to go now, which, like, I mean, sure. You probably need to get your strength back because um, it says, but physically her body would not allow it. She'd had no food and she has no strength because really she hasn't eaten in days because how long it took two days to get over or through the um, woods and everything. And Tamlin didn't stop for her. So she makes a mental game plan that she would get food and at the next opportune moment she would run. 
So with her new plan in mind, she waited until she was steady enough to walk and left the horse and took the steps one at a time. Which, like, Tamlin could have, like, helped her. I guess she wouldn't have let him, but, like... I feel like he was being kind of standoffish because he didn't know how to handle this yet. I think he doesn't know how to handle a lot of things. Well, that man has control issues. Yeah. A little bit. (laughs) To say the least. A little bit. (laughs) So reading from the book, it says, Inside, it was even more opulent. Black and white checkered marble shone at my feet, flowing to countless doors in a sweeping staircase. A long hall stretched ahead to the giant glass doors at the other end of the house, and through them I glimpsed a second garden, grander than the one out front. No sign of a dungeon, no shouts or pleas rising up from hidden chambers below. No, just a low growl from a nearby room, so deep that it rattled the vases overflowing with fat clusters of hydrangea atop the scattered hall tables as if in response an open set of polished wooden doors swung wider to my left i think she is surprised that this isn't some kind of torture chamber full of horrible creatures because she was summoned um and i agree like i think that she was expecting not this (laughs) she was expecting probably to be like jailed in my opinion like for sure yeah. Well, I mean, and this is like supposed to be the retelling, not the, but a retelling of Beauty and the Beast. And, mm-hmm. you know, in it, in that story, um, her father is like, she goes in and says, like, I takes his place, basically. And he is in, you know, a dungeon type place. Mm-hmm. And so she's expecting that same type of um, room and board, basically. And. The beast is like, nah, you're a lady. I want to woo you. (laughs) (laughs) Your hair is clean. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, geez. Um, So she was summoned by an open door to follow him inside. Right. So she's thinking about the past and the war and had never imagined how the Fae could live in such grandeur. Like she had never thought about it, really. And I don't think she's like, because we hear at the beginning of this chapter, she even says that this house is bigger than the one that she had pre losing all of their fortune. Right. So like, yeah. I wonder if she'd ever seen anything as grand as this. And it also makes me think of like the juxtaposition of this versus like where Reese lives. You know what I mean? It's very different. They carry themselves very differently. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so she enters the room and it contained a long table that was laden with food and wine. Some of it steaming hot and her mouth began to water. All of the food was familiar to her and not some strange fey food. <laughs> it was a fey feast. <laughs> Chicken, bread, peas, fish, asparagus, and lamb. Um, my question is, what happens to it when they don't eat it all? And she also thinks this at one point. Um, so then the beast then, like, he goes to the oversized chair at the head of the table. And I'm assuming he sits. But Good boy. Yeah. Good boy. <laughs> well, is he, though? Nope. <laughs> he needs some therapy. Yeah. Everybody does. That's literally the answer to, like, almost all problems in books. You need therapy. And real yeah. life. I feel like they they're pretty good though about like acknowledging like the shit that's happened to them. It's like this stuff True. was really like effed up. Um so let's talk about it and not bury our feelings, okay? Yeah. Especially <laughs> I feel like that is really the case in Silver Flames. Yes. Like breaking through Nesta's Nesta. damage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
So anyway, Feyre is lingering by the threshold. Mostly, I think she just isn't... She's out of her comfort zone on top of the fact that she's on edge because she just wants to leave. And like Sarah said, she literally... Her body is failing her in that. She cannot just leave. Um, And she's gazing at all of this food. And in her head, she says, all that hot, glorious food that I couldn't eat. Because the first rule that they're taught (laughs) as children is that if misfortune forced you to keep company with a fairy, you never drank their wine, you never ate their food, ever. So I will say, like, that is a common theme in in, in folklore with fairies. like the cruel prince books, she's not supposed to eat like their food or something, or she needs salt. I don't know. I don't remember. Hmm. I didn't like the book, so she's not wrong about the wine. I was gonna say, well, we do know that she really should wine, not drink right? the wine. Yeah, is there? Oh, okay. Because then I was yeah. thinking, I'm like, she drinks. Not that she drinks a lot of it afterwards, but she's also fairy then. So like after yeah. that, they don't really talk about it. It's. But. I think it just affects her a lot quicker, which is why Reese has her drink it to not remember parts of oh. Under the Mountain. Mm-hmm. But I think she doesn't. Does she remember what happened? Like when she drinks it the first time with Tamlin. Well, not with Tamlin specifically, but I think that she just knows that she like basically got drunk off of it really quickly. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I was thinking like later on when she's a fairy when she was drinking it, it doesn't affect her at all. Yeah. Then she's like, Give me all the fairy wine. (laughs) Um (laughs) so they were taught but (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, true. Uh rack up those bills, have Reese pay it all. Um, so not only are they taught that they are not to eat their food or drink their wine, but also that they would be enslaved to them in mind and soul or dragged to Prithian, which she was already dragged to Prithian, but she wanted to avoid the first part of that happening. She didn't want to be a slave to anybody uh, because who does? Nobody should be. Um, So the beast sits in the chair and in a flash of white light, he turns into a golden haired man. That is Tamlin. Can I talk about something for a second that really has nothing to do with what we're talking about? Sure. I know that I am not the only person in the world that thinks this, but I love the movie Beauty and the Beast, right? The Disney version. Like the live action? Sure, the live action's fine. But I'm I'm talking about the cartoon. But also, like, I mean, I think the man that played him is an attractive man in real life. What is Dan Stevens, don't ask me Mm -hmm. why I know that's his name, but he is an attractive man. But, I know because he's in Downton Abbey. Love Dan yes. Stevens. Um, he got better as Downton Abbey mo- like went on. Good looking is what I mean to say. But so mm-hmm. this is what I think of when he changes from the Beast to the Golden Haired Man. Because like, was anyone else like disappointed when the Beast turned into that guy? And you're like, oh, yeah. Can you? I'm like, can oh, you go back? Adam's not that <laughs> yeah. attractive. Like, and I loved in the live action when, like, they're almost rolling to the credits and she's like, do you think you could grow a beard? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Emma Watson. I love her. Um, So, Farah is shocked by this revelation because I think that she just assumed that that was what the fairy looked like all the time. But he is, in fact, a man looking like person. 
Because <laughs> he's not a man. He's a fairy. He's a male. He's a male. He's a male, as they say. So she pushed herself up against the paneled wall and felt for the threshold, just wanting to, like, ground herself, figure out where she was, how far away she was from possibly escaping. Um, however, she does recognize right away that this man was not a man, and he was not even a lesser fairy. He was high fae, which is one of their ruling nobility. So she describes him as beautiful, lethal, merciless. How does she know that he's high fae? Like, how do you know? Just by looking so, at them. Because there's a difference between being high fae, like, yes, and being, like, I don't think all high fae are nobility, but I could be totally lying, but I don't know if that's true. It's just I'm happens not that sure. all no, Like, I think all nobility are high fae, maybe, but not all high fae are nobility. I see what you're well, saying this then? is what the court of thorns and roses like fandom wiki says okay. so it says the high fae are a group of fairies that are known as the ruling nobility in the fae world so mm. i maybe it is just i don't know um but they differ from the lesser fairies by their human looking appearances mm. um save for their delicately arched ears and longer limbs any other difference will mark a fairy as lesser fairies so um so does that mean technically the Illyrians are lesser fairies? But like I don't, I think, I think so. they themselves like they don't wouldn't acknowledge that, right? But because I'm of to like the wings, how they say it when they meet Feyre, and they're like, because I know she like she calls Cassie and Lord Cassie, and he like dies of laughter. Yeah, <laughs> and he's like not a lord, and then like we're not high. I don't think they're high. Fa- I don't. I genuinely don't think they even say that they're high. Fae. I I don't know. I don't think that they say that. I don't, I don't think, think they so do. Either. Um so I just literally opened up <laughs> opened up Mr. and Fury to the exact page where she meets them. And I did not, not I like did not even mean to do that on purpose. So it says that each court, as we know, is ruled by a high lord. So high lords are high fae with extra abilities, such as being able to turn into an animal or have enough power to keep their court safe and ward off or kill monstrous immortals who are in charge of tormenting others. They are stronger and more powerful than the average fairy, and they may possess unique abilities that vary with their level of power, such as winnowing or a trait received at birth, such as the Daimati. Um, so Daimati, we know that is that is resand. Um, and obviously Tamlin is a little shapeshifter dude there. Um, so yeah. Here's my that other is... question about that. <clears throat> Cause can't Reese also shift into like another yeah. form? So yeah. like, yeah. Is that just something like all high Lords have? Because like, I think later that on... sand is just exceptionally talented. <laughs> <laughs> In many ways, but you know, because I'm trying. I was trying to find that too. I just have to reread um that part. I'm just trying to find where she's talking to them about their power. Yeah, blah blah blah. Which also like is super vague because it's like the power of stronger Illyrians tends towards incinerate now and ask questions later. They have little magical gifts beyond that. The killing power. Like what? They know how to kill. I mean, sure. Um, I don't know. So Feyre could see that Tamlin was young. 
However, his nose, cheeks, and brows were covered by an exquisite golden mask embedded with emeralds shaped like whirls of leaves. Very spring-like. They're in the spring court, so that makes sense. But she passes this off as just some sort of like high fae fashion. She doesn't really make anything of it. His eyes are still the same as they were in beast form, and he had a strong jaw. Yes. So I found where it says, because she asks them, because she calls him Lord Cassian, and then he's like, yeah, none of these people are nobility, basically. Because he's like, he's not a lord, neither is um, Azrael. He's like, or Amran. Um, and he goes, Moore is the only person at this table, titled person in this room, and she's like pure blood, pure blood titled person, because even he is half Lyrian, right? And so she goes, so you three aren't high fae, and Cassian's like, Illyrians are certainly not high fae and glad of it, and we're not lesser fairies, though some try to call us that. We're just Illyrians, considerably expendable aerial cavalry for the night court at the best of times, mindless soldier grunts at the worst. <laughs> I just love him so much. <laughs> But anyway, so they're not, they don't classify themselves as anything but Illyrians. I like that. They're just proud of who they are. Uh, yeah. Um, so Tamlin suggests to Feyre that she eat something, but of course she doesn't want to because she thinks that then she's going to be enslaved to him. So instead of answering, she just like <laughs> takes note of what he's wearing. So he's wearing a dark green tunic that is rather plain. And he also has a leather baldric across his chest, which is a belt for a sword or other piece of equipment uh, worn over one shoulder, reaching down to the opposite hip. So it just like goes across you like a sling bag. I've like seen things like this at like the medieval fair and stuff like that. They like sell them. Mm-hmm. Um, so she he has this baldric on, but she does not see any weapons on him. So... From his look, she is gathering that he is also a warrior. And she wondered why he had to wear warrior attire. Like, what was out there that he needed to dress like this, especially since he was high fae. So that, like, concerns her a little bit. Um, Farah is also still very much focused on running. So she inches towards the door and feels the door's metal hinges. And she's thinking if she moved fast, she could be out of the house and running for the gate in seconds. But he was going to be faster. So she thought about, like, chucking some furniture pieces in his path. But I'm just kind of like, who does she think she is that she's going to have time to run and throw furniture in his way? Like, to me, that's just kind of funny. Like, with no strength because you haven't eaten a day's. Exactly. (laughs) And, like, not only that, but, like, he's going to be so fast. Like, you're not going to have time to, like, reach and throw a... Like furniture, like furniture. (laughs) And she also doesn't know like that he um, is pretty powerful because like later on, she like gets up to move and he literally like using his mind power. She's Mm -hmm. stuck to the chair. Yeah. He's like, "Um, no, you're not moving. So she asks him, who are you? And he doesn't answer and just tells her to sit and eat. And Favor really wanted to eat, especially like seeing all of this food. She's starving. She hasn't had a meal like that in years, probably. Um, but she just kept thinking about being enslaved to him, and she wasn't going to do it. So he gets aggravated because she's, it's she's like not even responding to him. Not only is she not eating, but she's just like standing there. And he says, "Unless you'd rather faint." And she then tells him, "It's well, it's not safe for humans." And he just laughs and he says, "The food is fine for you to eat, human." And then he told her to leave if she wanted. He isn't jailing her. The gates are open and she can live anywhere mm. 
in Prithian. Mm. Except the night court, Biatch. Mm. She doesn't want you to live there. Mm. That's mm. the best place to be. The night court. It's like the place to be. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, but she knows that her chances of surviving outside of these gates is nil. Like it's not going to happen, especially after seeing that he's dressed as a warrior. Like he definitely was prepared to like potentially fight something out there. And if he's prepared to fight something, she surely was not going to be able to fight something Especially being as hungry as she is. So she then just like. Not yet. Not she's yet. She's going to be. She's going to be better than him though. Oh, um, for sure. So she then began just like taking in how pristine this place is. Like it was very civilized. It was very clean. It was very beautiful. But she just keeps thinking about that promise that she made to her mother. Um, so she just keeps thinking, I have to get out. I have to fulfill this promise. I have to take care of my family. And that makes me sad because, like, that shouldn't have been on her. But Correct. Her mom's not the greatest person in the world. Yeah. I don't care for her. I don't even know her. <laughs> I don't like her. <laughs> I know. We've never met her, but we don't like her. She it. doesn't seem like a real gem, you know? Your daughters have a lot of uh, trauma. A lot of trauma they got to unpack. And not just because of her, but be- because of her. <laughs> Ooh. Sorry, I yawned. Um, so Tamlin just is giving up on her eating, and he just begins to serve himself. And now we get to meet Lucian. And he walks in. He says, well. And he has red hair. He is finely dressed. Does he have tunic. a hand-me-down robe? <laughs> I was going to say he's a Weasley, but he's finely dressed. So. <laughs> in a tunic of muted silver. And I was like, what the heck is muted silver? But. So you mean gray? Probably just, yeah, so yeah. gray. <laughs> um, so fancy. <laughs> My favorite color is muted silver. I literally Googled muted silver and I was like, it's gray. <laughs> just say gray. It's gray. <laughs> um, but he also has a mask on. Way to be safe. Yeah, but it's over his eyes. So mm. <laughs> um, I got really confused for a second. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and Tamlin just says, well, what? And Lucian is like, is Andrus dead? Is that how you say it? Andrus? I say I've Andr- been calling him Andreas in my head. I think I've said Andrus. Uh, I've I never li- I don't know way. how they say it in the um you guys are the ones that listen to the audiobook, so I have no idea. I think they say Andrus. I don't know. I'm going to go with that. Um, And Tamlin just nods. So Lucian is pissed and his knuckles are white. He like grips his arms and asks how. And Tamlin explains an ash arrow. The treaty summons led me to the mortal. I gave her safe haven. And Lucian is shocked that a mortal quote girl actually killed Andrus. I love Um, him. Lucian. Yeah. Yeah. I feel bad for him. I mean, like, I know that they all knew going in, like, like, Andrus knew there was a chance that Mm -hmm. he could get killed. But, like, how many people has he sent over the wall? So, like, that's every time you do it, it's going to be, like, traumatic. And I would think, and this is going to probably sound bad, but, like, he probably wasn't sending out, like, his most faithful people at the beginning or, like, the best, you know what I mean? Like, so... 
Andreas, how they long has he been out. with them? For years. He's probably like super good friends with Lucian. We don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously it's true. right that he's upset. So I guess um I'm just gonna like read the wikia, like what it says about Andrus. I can't remember if we did this whenever we talked about the wolf chapter, but it'll be brief. So Andrus is a high fate, obviously, from the Spring Court, and he's one of Tamlin's sentinels. He did not fight Feyre's attack in order to allow Tamlin to break Amarantha's curse. Um, so like we said, he knew going out there that there was a chance, and then because Feyre actually reacted the way that they needed somebody to react, um, he did not fight back to give Tamlin and the Spring Court a chance of breaking this curse. I also looked up the name Andrus because I wanted to know if there was any etymology on it. And Andrus is like a demon spirit. Um, So he looks really weird. He's like human with angel wings and an owl head. Hmm. and he like rides a wolf, so that's interesting. Um, but he's depicted as a humanoid with angel's wings, owl's head, riding a strong black wolf, holding a gleaming bright sharp sword. Only a strong enough summoner is able to call Andrus, who manifests as a near naked elf with an owl's head. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so he is one of the most violent and dangerous demons to summon. The conjurer in any attendance he may have must stay within a magic circle at all times, no matter how much Andrus tempts them to leave it, or he will surely kill them. Um, just interesting. interesting. So he's meant like that name comes from mythology. Um, and hmm. where am I? So Lu- Lucian again is pissed. Like Farrah notes, he isn't asking if a girl killed Andrus. He's saying it as he's not like asking. He's like saying it like mad. And it's quoted in the book as like venom coated string of words. Like he's just, he's just mad. And like, I get it. But also like, what do you expect from Feyre? Like it's hard. Like there's no blame to be placed anywhere in my opinion, just because like Feyre reacted how Feyre yeah, was going to react. No, you can place some blame on Highburn and Amarantha because they're Amarantha. the yeah. freaking worst. Yeah. True. True. But like between the people in the room, I guess is yeah, what I no, meant. No, no. Like you can't blame Lucian for being mad. You can't blame Tamlin for being frustrated and, I mean, I can blame Tamlin a little bit just because I like to blame <laughs> Tamlin, but you know, that's another conversation. And you can't blame Feyre for killing Andrus because like her family was starving and that yeah. wolf was going to kill the one thing that she could get to feed her family for two weeks. And it was like, okay, well, I'm going to take a chance and kill this wolf to get this deer and then make some money off of it. And like, sure, when you find out that that wolf was actually a fairy who was like a human with a, not a human, but like a, you know, a fairy with a life and friends and all of that kind of stuff. It sounds really cold hearted that she just like skinned him and sold his hide. But like, she didn't know at the time. Well, and and for her, it's life and death. And like Correct. a lot of the, 
a lot of the characters that you meet in this book don't understand that. And really it's not until she meets Cassian. Cause like, he's the one that his, um, I forget how young he was. Like, I think like five or something when like they literally like tore him away from his mom. And like, she, yeah. like, so he had to live on his own in the Illyrian mountains until, um, Reese brought him home or yeah, brought him home basically. Um, when they like, were like 11 or something. So like, he's the only one that we really meet that like knows what it's like to have to like fend for yourself and to, to do what she did where like, she just, she did what she had to do to like help her family. And she knows what it's like to be starving. And so does Cassian. And like a lot of these other people, because both Tamlin and Lucian, while their father specifically were or are, because Baron is still alive, uh, are fucking terrible <laughs> to say mm-hmm. the least. But like they had all of these things. They had a roof over the head. They had constant, mm-hmm. um, you know, stability with, with their food and their housing and them being clothed and like all of these things were like, uh, neither Cassian nor Feyre had that. Yeah. And I think that like t- Lucian just doesn't know where to put his anger at this point because like, yeah. Pushing your anger towards Amarantha isn't going to do much because she has, unfortunately, so much power at this moment in time that, like, if he were to do that, it would be a death sentence. So, like, for him, it's easy to be mad at Feyre. Um, it's, mm-hmm. It makes him feel better at this moment in time to be mad at Feyre for doing this, even though I'm sure deep down he knows that Feyre really had no choice. And And also, at the end of the day, this is to this is to help them break this curse and mm-hmm. like it, it sucks, but they all knew that Andrus going out there could end this way. So like, it's just, it's, it's well, all because of Amarantha. <laughs> like, I, I think too, with, with him, how he feels about it is like, she does at this point in time, hate fairies. So like, yeah, he also knows he was like, would like almost like, would you have done that to me? Kind of a thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and that's justifiable too, is like, you know, to have that anger being like, you're, you hate us all. Like she is at this point in time, very prejudiced towards him because of like all of the lies that she's been told and things that, that she yeah. doesn't know about. Which thankfully she unlearns. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so Tamlin gives a bitter laugh and points to Feyre. So like this kind of gave me an indication that like, I think he's just so bitter about the whole situation. It's not necessarily towards Feyre. It's again, the fact that he had to send his friend out there and yeah, this is who did it. Like this is who he has to now work with and hope that she can break the treaty or break the, the curse for them. So he says the treaty's magic brought me right to her doorstep. Um, and Lucian looks to her and his mask was bronze and fashioned after a fox's features, concealing all but the lower half of his face. And he also had a wicked looking scar from his brow to his jaw. And he had a missing eye and it was replaced with a golden orb. Um, there's I mean, there's obviously a lot on his wiki page and I don't want to spend a ton of time going into this, but just like. Since this is the first mention of Lucian, I'm just going to briefly go through him. He's a high fae. He's the, as we said, I don't know actually if we were talking about this on the podcast or if it was beforehand, but he's the illegitimate son of Helion. He's the high lord of the day court and 
<laughs> oh, wait, no. He's the illegitimate son of Helion, the High Lord of the Day Court, and the Lady of the Autumn Court. Um, he's a former emissary to the Spring Court. And spoiler alert, a current I- emissary to the <laughs> Night Court. <laughs> and is a member of the Band of Exiles. Um, so Lucian, we're, you know, we're gonna, he's gonna be around for a while, so... He yeah. he struggles with some things, but you know, for he the does. most part, he gets there. I like him a lot. He's one of my favorite characters. I like um, him too. I want him to know who his real dad is, and like that, I think is a huge part of why his father. I mean, his father's a cruel person, anyways. Or, yeah. um, but I think a huge part of why he treats him the way he does is because he knows it's not his son. Um. And I think that Eris knows that, but like, obviously none of this is like confirmed that like other people know, but like, come on, your dad's a piece of shit. Uh, you're like stepdad basically. Um, we like Helion. We like him a lot. So who's your daddy? (laughs) (laughs) So, Feyre says that she can see his eye, his good eye, <laughs> widen from across the room. Do you I think like his how- other eyes like mad eyes? Like can, I can it see through things? I oh, I thought you I meant like so. large and obnoxious. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I feel like it's it's useful. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if it like I mean if, if it's mechanical. I would assume it's better than an average eye. <laughs> You know, <laughs> better than the average. Um, I, I think, think you might be right. <laughs> <laughs> I like that it's described as russet. I think that's kind of pretty. Well, um, both, are both of his eyes that color or just that color? Or is that just that eye? I think it's just that eye. Oh, okay. That's I how I picture like, it. That's a really red eye, but I'm like, maybe, maybe that is. I'm going to look it up. You can go on. Sorry. My mom's phone is ringing. Oh. (laughs) Mom. No, it's... Oh, russet and gold is what it's... The wiki it says his eye color is. Russet and gold. Mm -hmm. Russet Russet and gold. <laughs> so he really can't seem to believe it, and he says, "You're joking." That scrawny thing brought down Andros with a single ash arrow, and Feyre instantly thinks, "Bastard, an absolute bastard," <laughs> and a pity she doesn't have an arrow now, so she could shoot him instead. <laughs> um, so Tamlin's like, "Yeah, she admitted to it. She didn't try to deny it." And I pointed this out. So he's tracing the rim of his goblet with one of his long claws because it slid out and it's scraping against the metal. I have like not a hard time, but I'm just wondering how you guys picture it. Like, is it literally a claw coming out of his knuckle? Is it more magical than that? Oh, you mean like um, uh, Wolverine kind of thing? Yeah. Or like, I I don't know. I don't know. I'm just curious if you guys had any other thought towards that i'm um uh well i'm trying to picture because there's there's this one scene where he like literally claws himself in the face and i'm trying to think of how his hand is on his face um to like have it like when i first started reading these 
like struggle is a strong word, but I don't know what other word to say with it. Like I almost struggled with trying to pick, picture exactly how that came to be. It's Maybe it does because this it. is what it says. Because he's like, it says, though he had his chin propped up on his on a fist, concerning blah blah blah, whatever doesn't matter. This then the third, yeah, da, da, da. Tamlin flinched as his claws shot out, slicing his face. All right, so we got a Wolverine on our hands. So yeah, that's what I would assume from that. All right, cool. Um, so Feyre comments to herself that she can understand the mask for this red-haired fairy because he has this big scar on his face and a missing eye. But the other, Tamlin, seemed fine, and he, she's wondering maybe he just wears it out of solidarity. So Lucian goes on to say, well, now we're stuck with that thanks to your useless mercy and you've ruined but he's, he's cut off because Favor takes a step forward. She has no idea what she's going to say or do, but she can't take being spoken about that way. So Lucian says, did you enjoy killing my friend, human? Did you hesitate? Or was the hatred in your heart riding you too hard to consider sparing him? It must have been so satisfying for a small mortal thing like you to take him down. So... I mean, this right here is part of the whole arrangement with Amarantha, right? Like, she had to be, or they had to be someone with hatred in their heart mm-hmm. over fairies. So we're getting a little glimpse into that. Tamlin doesn't say anything. His jaw does tighten. So, like, you know, I don't think he disagrees with Lucian. And again, Favor reaches for this knife that's not there anymore. So, yes, sorry. I meant to point this out earlier when we first meet him, but did you guys notice that like he bows before Tamlin? No, I did not catch that. Now that you say that. Yeah. yeah. They're very, very formal and that's not at all how Reese is. So mm-hmm. like one Feyre is like, well, this is not how you like we did things in the spring court. But then when Lucian goes over there, he was like, this is all very <laughs> like <laughs> wax casual Friday yeah. every day. Yeah. Which I'm like, hmm, interesting. Such a stark difference. Tamlin's make people bow. Because really the only mm. person that Lucian bows to there is Amran. And she's like, oh, you're, you've taught him, you taught your pet well. Or she makes like some kind of comment like that to him. Yeah. <laughs> Plus we see that formality with the taxes later on that they collect mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Which uh, Reese has not, doesn't want anything they to do with do that. Ta- I think they do like taxes, like normal, like city taxes in like like so they don't do tithe or however they pronounce it you know yeah yeah so lucian continues he says anyway um perhaps there's a way to and then tamlin cuts him off and tells him to behave what do you think he was gonna say here like get rid of her or is he trying to say like maybe there is a way for yeah is maybe there is a way to get her to fall in love with you but i think he's too uh hurt right now to even like think Mm. about that kind of stuff i don't know yeah i don't know maybe he was gonna spill something about the the curse and tamlin sensed it so just told him to stop it yeah Mm -hmm. so lucian goes rigid but he bows deeply to Feyre and very jokingly says my apologies lady (laughs) he finally introduces himself as lucian courtier and emissary he gestures to her with a flourish and says, your eyes are like stars and your hair like burnished gold. <laughs> I just love him so much. I know he's being an ass here, but like... Right. 
Love it. You know what though? Like, <laughs> but again, he's just he's mad about the whole situation. So yeah. like, I can't blame him. Part of yeah. him does kind of like grow on you though in the beginning of here, even though he is like an ass to Feyre and like she almost dies because of him. But like, there's also some slow respect building between them, mm-hmm. which I like. I remember one of the first things that I texted Sarah was like, Delusion and Tamlin get together. <laughs> <laughs> And she was just like, no. <laughs> There's still time. There's still time. I guess. I don't know. They're Didn't, actually mates. Does, doesn't Cassian and Azra like admit to like sharing women sometimes? So like I wonder if they've ever shared a woman. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Um, that is case. something Cassian and Azra want to do. Yeah. Um, in case you didn't know, because I didn't know, I looked up courtier which i might be saying wrong an emissary so courtier. A courtier is a person who attends a royal court as a companion or advisor to the king or queen or in this case a high lord and an emissary is a person sent out on a special mission usually as a diplomatic representative i think he does that a lot oh so pharaoh will not give her name but tamlin does for her and she just assumes he must have learned it at the cottage and he tells her, Alice is going to take you up to her to your room. We don't know who that is yet. And he says, you could use a bath and fresh clothes. And she's not sure whether to be insulted or not. Um, and then from the book, just to describe us meeting Alice, there was a firm hand at my elbow and I flinched. A rotund brown haired woman in a simple brass bird mask tugged on my arm and inclined her head toward the open door behind us. Her white apron was crisp above her homespun brown dress a servant the mask had to be some sort of trend then (laughs) well so she thinks if they care so much about their clothes like even the servants look nice maybe they're shallow and vain enough for me to actually be able to trick and get away but they are high face so she's going to have to be very clever um quiet bide her time until she could escape which she does the same strategy in rings and ruin at this court which is kind of interesting. She is a bit relieved to hear that Tamlin said she's going to a room and not a cell. So again, she's just like picturing she's going to be like locked up in a dungeon somewhere and eaten at some point, I'm sure. Um, do they, they eat people though or do they just kill them? I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure that all the human folklore is all about fairies eating them and yeah. whatnot. But... Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. Too gamey, I'm sure. I mean, if you think about what Amarantha does with Claire, they just play. play. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think Farrah says gross. something like, fairies are known to play with their food. Which, yeah. again, could just be something that humans tell whatever to yeah. make them scared. Um, so they'd only made it a few steps before she hears Lucian say, that's the hand the cauldron thought to deal us. Deal us, she brought Andrus down. We never should have sent him out there. None of us should have been out there. It was a fool's mission. Um, and his growl is more bitter than threatening. And she thinks, can he shapeshift as well? And then he says, maybe we should just take a stand. Maybe it's time to say enough. Dump the girl somewhere. Kill her. I don't care. But she's nothing but a burden here. She'd sooner put a knife in your back and then, then talk to you or any of us. So he's kind of just like, I mean, and later on we find out. Andrus is like one of the last people he's even able to send out because they've just sent so many mm-hmm. to try and find whoever this favorite person was supposed to be eventually. 
Um, and I think they part of them are just like, there's nothing they could do. So like, let's just give up. Um, yeah. Cause it's been almost f- 50 years since this all happened. And uh, he, Lucian doesn't know what it's like to be in the war. Cause he wasn't alive. Uh, like that 500 years ago when they were fighting. But um, a lot of them are just like, what are we going to like? They we, they were tricked into all of this happening. You don't know. Right. And like, it sounds easy to just be like, look, we should take a stand. But like, I think literally like even as high Lords, like their hands are tied. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> and like, none, like none of them have as much power as they used to. Cause she, um, she did whatever. And, all of them their power that stripped completely but they've lost a significant amount of their power to the point where like now they're just doing what they can to survive you know right right um so tamlin says no not until we know for certain that there's no other way we will make a move and as for the girl she stays unharmed end of discussion her life in that hovel was hell enough and Feyre is embarrassed by that. She doesn't disagree. She's like, oh, I guess, like, that really is probably what my cottage looks like. But she still does, like, she blushes. It's kind of kind of sad a little bit for her. Um, and Lucian's like, well, you got your work cut out for for you. And I'm sure her life is a fine replacement for Andrus. Which is like, Ew. yeah. But this kind of shows that they must be more than just, like, emissary and high lord like because they can talk to each other like this yeah yeah but like it's different watching we're not really watching or reading like seeing how they interact versus like how reese interacts with yeah like his inner circle totally um i think that's i think that says a lot about the men of how they interact with like their people i don't want to call them lessers because they're not but like you know they're second third fourth fifth blah 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 people yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Um, so Alice leads her through the halls of silver and gold to a lavish bedroom on the second level. And her and two other servants, who are also masked, they bathe her, cut her hair, and pluck her, quote, until I felt like a chicken being prepared for dinner. And then she thinks, well, I very well may be their next meal. But she constantly just has to keep reminding herself that Tamlin literally promised she could live her days out in Prithian instead of dying. Jokes on you, you're going to be dead by the end of the year. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I did a timeline thing, but I'll talk about it after my section. Because I talked about that the other episode now it's incorrect any hoosies so Feyre is now scrubbed clean she's sitting in a white dressing gown and she's begging for her old clothes back because she's staring at this dress that alice put out for her to wear it's like a velvet turquoise dress uh and Feyre doesn't want to wear it and she isn't shy about her begging to wear her own clothes um and alice leaves and so now, Feyre's kind of thinking about the fact that she hasn't worn a dress in years. And it says, I wasn't about to start. Not when escape was my main priority, I wouldn't be able to move freely in a gown. And so I also was pointing out, like, you see her later on when she starts feeling more comfortable in the spring court that she starts to wear dresses more. Um, and I think, like, from that point on, she almost exclusively wears dresses. I might not be 100% sure, but, like, it, it almost feels like until she gets to, like, the night court and she's really with 
Reese and like there she's much more like when she wants to just be comfortable she's comfortable and like when she needs to be like fancy or like when they have to put on their show basically for the court of nightmares they that's when they dress up you know what I mean but she doesn't wear dresses every day when she's in the night court but it almost feels like the second she starts wearing them she starts wearing them in the spring court and like that's pretty much all you see her in um so she's still sitting there and she's kind of like listening to the sounds that are around her she's hearing birds outside and she's realizing that she's not hearing like any fighting nobody's using weapons there's nobody being tortured like she's not hearing any screams nothing like that um and then i'm just reading from the book it says the bedroom was larger than our entire cottage that's insane its walls were pale green delicately sketched with patterns of gold and the moldings were golden as well i might have thought it tacky had the ivory furniture and rugs not complemented it so well the gigantic bed was a similar color scheme and the curtains that hung from the towering headboard drifted in the faint breeze from the open windows my dressing gown was of the finest silk edged with lace simple and exquisite quite or exquisite nice wow i can't read exquisite enough that i ran a finger along the lapel the few stories i'd heard had been wrong or 500 years of separation had muddled them yes i was still prey still born weak and useless compared to them but this place was peaceful calm unless that was an illusion too and the loophole in the treaty was a lie a trick to set me at ease before they destroy me the high fae liked to play with their food so yeah all of this is <laughs> completely true because yes everything has been muddled because you even find out later in i think wings and ruin that the wall was built not to be a permanent thing mm-hmm. but because like uh, compared to fey humans live and die a lot quicker and so it was supposed to be like almost like we build the wall everyone kind of calms down we'll take it down and like we'll just go back to being like happy clams kind of a thing and that's not <laughs> at all what happens um and really this entire thing of being an illusion because of the treaty and all of those things, like he didn't take her because of the treaty. He took her because Amarantha is being a bitch. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and so like, it's not a peaceful place. And like, this is almost like the calm before the storm of like her going back under the mountain and mountain. And then it's very quickly what happens between her coming out of the mountain out from under the mountain to them fighting with highburn and like having her sisters, um, be thrown in the cauldron and, uh, becoming high fae and then literally fighting highburn and successfully winning that. You know what I mean? Uh, very, very quick. Um, so yeah, foreshadowing babies. Big time. Um, so then Alice returns (laughs) And she does have Farrah's clothing that she had been wearing when she arrived, but they washed them and uh, they basically fell apart like before they even touched the water. So the shirt now has like holes all in it. The pants are now just scraps of cloth and Farrah doesn't um, let herself like give a retort. Like she's, she's holding herself back from saying something to Alice. Cause Alice, uh, not that she's that kind about it, but she's like, is this what you want to wear? Cause this is what it looks like. Like, Essentially, like, put this dress on. Right. Um, I love her no BS attitude. Yeah, I love Alice. <laughs> yeah, she's cool. Yeah, I like her too. Um, and so then she, because Failure doesn't even say anything, she leaves. Um, and she doesn't want to give over to her because she, she's like, yes, I know that Alice is a servant, but like, 
she's Faye and I'm not, she could still kill me kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, and she doesn't answer cause she's not going to wear that dress. So then Alice leaves and then she comes back and she brings with her a pair of trousers and a tunic that'll fit her. So she's got a, a white shirt, a dark blue tunic. It's got some gold thread that's embroidered on it. Um, and she's thinking about, as she's like putting this stuff on, like how much these clothes must have cost because for her in the last, however many years it's been, that's all she's really she's always thought about how much is this going to cost me how much is this going to cost my family like like all of those things like that's very much has been on her mind because they didn't have money and they needed to eat to survive like well everyone needs to eat to survive so she's then thinking about how young she was so that's made her kind of reminisce about um when she was a child and before her family lost their fortune and now she spent a lot of time with her father in his offices. And he would sometimes tell her like about the goods and like the things that he was working on, like and how much they were worth. Um, and from the book, it says my times in his offices full of the sense of exotic spices and the music of foreign tongues made up the majority of my few happy memories. So all of her happy memories are from when she was a child before they lost all of their money when she was like, what, under the age of nine, 10. Um, yeah. So how sad. So going on, I didn't need, I didn't need to know the worth of everything in this room to understand that the emerald curtains alone, silk with gold velvet could have fed us for a lifetime. Um, and she, that doesn't make her happy. If anything, it makes her resentful. So now she's thinking about her family and how many days that she's been away from them and that the meat that she had left with them would be dwindling now. Um, and I'd just like to point out a friendly reminder that this is when Nesta um, is hiring that mercenary to go after her sister. Is and it the same one that Feyre talked to in the... Yes. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. And like Feyre is like stunned that she would do it. She's go. it wasn't right that he just took you. Nesta cares in Nesta's way. She just, you know, there, there is struggles. There. Yeah. Um, so Alice has her <laughs> sit before the fireplace and starts to braid her hair and she comments on her weight saying that she's all skin and bones and Pharaoh responds with winter does that to poor mortals um, and that's one thing I don't know if I wrote it in this I wrote it either in this episode or next episode I love that Pharaoh kind of always speaks her mind and isn't afraid to like when it might have been wiser to like, n- like not say anything she doesn't care and she's going to say it and I appreciate that about her makes me think about yeah yeah, yeah. an, right. an inspira- inspiration of Bill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Alice gives her some advice. Basically, keep your mouth shut and your ears open. <laughs> um, <laughs> she needs to keep her wits about her. And um, she even tells her that her senses will betray her there. And, you know, they do, Feyre. So you should listen to her. <laughs> um, and literally wrote, like, I love Alice. And then she goes on to talk about... Um, Andreas, is that how we're saying it? However, and says you that want he to say knew. It. I'm going to say Andreas if that's the case. And <laughs> says that he knew what was most likely going to happen to him when he went over the wall, and that others, while it is difficult to lose a friend, they'll understand like that the, that there are terms of the treaty, uh, and they might resent her being there, but she should keep her head down, and that they won't bother her. One of those, you know, if you don't bother them, they won't bother you, kind of a thing. Um, but she does tell her to give Lucian some shit though, because he could use it. Basically, is how she says it. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think about it this way, because I think at the beginning, like, it's a huge, like, full circle. And granted, Tamlin does some shit, right? 
Um, but at the end of Feyre's time in the spring court, she has all those sentries on her side because, and I think part of it is like, yeah, she's trying to stick to Tamlin and like literally ruin his life basically. But like, she also does care about them because she cares about people. Unlike Tamlin who only cares about himself. (laughs) 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 So Feyre wants to ask her more about like who she should avoid. But Alice is done with her hair and like goes to open the door to like leave and like for her to leave. So it's like kind of like end of the conversation. Um, and that's where we end the chapter. But I wanted to talk about the timeline for a hot second because I don't know if it was like the last episode or the episode before last. Talking about timelines and like how long everything happened because I was under the false impression. I'm like, she doesn't ever spend a winter solstice with Tamlin and she does. We just don't see it in the books. Um, and he doesn't know it's her birthday, which I'm like, dude, she's been living with you for almost a year. Like, cause we don't know exactly when she leaves her house, but it's winter there. And I'm going to assume it's post winter solstice. In my opinion, that is my headcanon that she leaves probably closer to winter solstice, but it's after the winter solstice, which is her birthday. Right. And winter solstice is December 21st. Uh, it's the longest day of the year. Right. And, um, the events of the first book take us, uh, until like, I think she's under the mountain for three months. And I think it's like October when she gets out roughly. I don't fully know. Um, but in the very beginning of Wings and no Mist and Fury, she was like, Tamlin proposed two months ago. So it's been planning, planning, planning ever since. And the only break she got was winter solstice. But even winter solstice break was like still having parties and still doing all the events because it's like winter solstice and like for winter and summer solstice, they throw these big parties. Um, and for like the other stuff they have anyway. So basically, from my understanding is. They get out from under the mountain. He immediately proposes. It's two, because two months after that is December. December is winter solstice. And then shortly after the winter solstice, because like it doesn't say exactly, like it doesn't say like, oh, winter solstice was like a week ago. But it's like we had winter solstice. That was my only break. And now the wedding's in two weeks. Because um, the next time, the next winter solstice she celebrates is in um, Frost and Starlight. After she's like made it with Reese, like they've done the whole thing. They fought. Um, Highburn, they somewhat survived because I mean, like, Reese does die. Came back to life though; <laughs> it gets better. So, like, that's the first winter solstice that they're that they're together, right? So, the events of Wings and Ruin and Mist and Fury is all in less than a year, which is so mind crazy. blowing. That's because crazy. Wings and or fro- gosh, blood said. <laughs> What do they say? Cauldron blast. <laughs> but Mist and Fury goes from like right after winter solstice. Um, in my opinion, I think it's about like three weeks after winter solstice when her wedding is. That's how I'm viewing it in my head. Again, these are not confirmed dates, except for the fact that she does get married after winter solstice. Um, it goes from winter solstice to like right before summer solstice, because that's the very like chapter two of wings and ruin is um ianthe's like oh we're like gotta set up and we gotta like practice for the summer solstice and like the highburn people are there or, like some of them like jurian and those two other um people are there the brother and sister are there so that's how quick 
So January, February, March, April, May, and then winter summer solstice is in June. So that's though that's those months. I'm like, this is mind blowing to me because then the next book goes from summer solstice to before winter solstice, because that doesn't even happen till frost and starlight. <laughs> so much happens. So realistically, Mist and Fury and Wings and Ruin and Frost and Starlight all happen in less than a year. Yeah, yeah. In a year's time, <laughs> yes. Um, and like with it just happens so quickly, and it's always like, oh, it like a couple of days, and then a couple of weeks went by, and like whatever else. And I was like, I just it just happens so fast to me. Yeah. And like um, it's pointed out when she's talking to Lucian in Wings and Ruin and and um they're talking about the great right right that happens mm-hmm. is that that's cal how do you say that Callan may Callan may is how i've said Callan it may. i literally don't i just look at it and know what i'm reading and so i out loud say Callan may lotion which i know is not at all what it's <laughs> called but um he was like he goes Tamlin refused to do it so Lucian had to participate in it and she says she realizes she's like oh she didn't even think about it but that's when her and um Reese were in the mountain cottage or whatever they call it you know realizing she's that's when she realized like that's her mate um and I know that people say like that's the beginning of um how do they say it they're like oh like that's like the when spring begins, but like it doesn't say that in the book, um, because it says it says fire night also called Kalen May Kalen May yeah that's how it's pronounced is a ceremony held in Printhian which signals the start of spring on fire night various celebrations occur, including it lighting bonfires there's playing drums and the great rite, um. And then underneath the trivia, it says Kalen May, which is like two words, like C-A-L-A-N, C-A-L-A-N space M-A-I is a celebration in Wales, which is held on May 1st each year. Celebrations start on the evening before known as May Eve with bonfires such or as with the I'm going to say this wrong. Kalen Gaif or November 1st, which is the night before, which is considered a word I won't be able to say, right? <laughs> Yisbrin knows? I don't know. Or spirit night, when spirits are out and about, um, divination is possible. And so it says, Kalen May in A Court of Thorns and Roses is a possible reference to this celebration. So it doesn't say, like, it's the spring. I'm assuming it's supposed to be equinox since it's the fall equinox, right? Autumn equinox. Yeah. It doesn't explicitly yeah. say that exactly. So... These are just things that I was, I went in a deep dive hole with this, this timeline. I was literally like writing down chapters of like when things happen. It just happens literally so quickly. That's crazy. It's like when you put it in that perspective. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Cause really, so like, so from, (laughs) from June or January, January, she spends one week with Reese. February, she spends a week with Reese. She spends one week with Tamlin. He locks her in the house, and then she's back in the night court. And February is the shortest month of the year. Not that it really matters, but like, 
there's like what less probably less than two weeks left of of february and so from then till june she's with them and has like gone from i'm not coming going back to like i love you you're my mate let's f some shit up so yeah and then you know the events of wings and ruin which is also a lot yeah (sighs) a lot so much yeah is that it i think so wrapping this up yeah so unless you have anything to add i don't know i love that you did a timeline (laughs) yeah (laughs) no it's really like because i mean like maybe we would have picked up on it doing a reread but this is my second reread so just knowing how fast it is it's just nuts yeah yeah and also makes me feel more of like how we were talking about how there's got to be something more with these sisters like something special about them Mm -hmm. well when she goes to see the bone carver he even says he was like alludes to um the fae or the fair i think he says the fae that put him in the prison um and i think is the same fae that locked his sister who is the weaver in the the cottage and also i'm gonna say it wrong like koshi or whatever the the um brother i think it's his brother he says that's on the island or water or whatever the same fae that locked them where they are he's like had magic or like did something like that you did have a line of like family but like their blood runs through he loots to running through like someone else's bloodlines and i'm like i wonder if that's them because like they they talk about Nesta specifically, like she was there's something about her before she became Faye, and then she becomes Faye, and they're like, obviously she she stole from the cauldron because she was just like, fuck you, basically. Right. Um and uh you know, there's just there's just something about her that mm-hmm. they're like, hmm. Mm-hmm. I saw a really cool and posted on her story of um and obviously people know that I love uh what's her face Nesta I have to find it oh it says Nesta stole the might of the cauldron out of wrath for what it did to one sister and returned it in love for another sister oh I like that <laughs> I like that anyways who knows what's gonna happen in the books that come out but Ugh. got a while to we got yeah. this to keep us company until then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So you can find your hosts on the social of medias. Instagram, really. You can find us on Instagram. Myself and Meg are at the Petrus family. Tiffany is at Tiff Swish underscore flick. And Sarah is at O'Malley. And that's with three H's. Thank you for listening and for your support. We appreciate you so much. Take care and remember, only you can decide what breaks you. I was telling Tiffany about um, the next book and like, Elaine, I don't know. She's like, I don't know where you're getting this like evil Elaine stuff. I'm like, a lot of people are talking about it. Like they said that like Sarah wants to write, um, has has said, I guess, that she wants to write like a Little Mermaid retelling. Mm. And like alluding to the fact that like Gwen 
is, I think it said her grandmother was a river nymph or half of one or whatever. So she's got like that in her, not history, but like <laughs> her lineage. Yeah. And she's a redhead. And I was like, so like she could be, you know, the evil sea witch, which hopefully I really would be devastated. And then someone else pointed out on the internet, because then I was like looking up theories and I was like, I just want people to be like, no, like she can't be evil. <laughs> Because my heart would be broken for both of her sisters. Yeah. And then someone was like, what if, like, Grayson or someone is, like, using her, like, manipulating her or, like, uh... I could get I behind like, that. Okay. Right? I'm like... I mean, not that I want her to be manipulated, but, like... Yeah, yeah. That could like, fit I, the story. Whew. I don't know. 